Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of worshiping together. And uh, it's just, uh, just, just such a joy to come into your presence, Lord, and to have your spirit just be so full and alive here in this place as we sing to you and uh, just uh, sense your presence and to come into your presence and to give you honor and glory and praise. Thank you for that, Lord. We also thank you, Jesus, for these great praises that we have today, the new life you brought into our church family, uh, Robin Christie's new boy, Brecken, Lord. We thank you for him. We ask your blessing over their family here, Lord, in the coming days as they get uh, acclimated to this new life in their family. Just bless them, Lord. Watch over them, protect them, keep them all safe and healthy. Jesus, we also pray for Pastor Rick, for America, for these other uh, church leaders from Latin America who are meeting together this week in Ecuador. Would you just bless that conference, Lord? Would you use that as a great, powerful time of equipping and encouragement that uh, will inspire these leaders to go back to their home countries and just be more bold, more passionate about sharing the gospel, discipling people in the faith. And would you, Lord, specifically, we pray that you would just watch over Pastor Rick and that would you, you would use him and his ministry there. Jesus, we just ask you give him the strength he's going to need. Keep him healthy, Lord. Give him wisdom and supernaturally inspire his teaching. And I just pray that he would be a great source of encouragement and blessing to those pastors and that uh, Rick, too, would be uh, really just encouraged by his time of ministry among them. Lord, we also thank you for uh, this new life that came to Christ this week through uh, the, the witness of Dwight Benson down in San Antonio. Lord, thank you for that man who put his faith in you. Would you just come alongside him now, Lord, and help him to continue to grow? Thank you for Dwight and his influence there, Lord. Lord, may all of us continue to keep our eyes open for people in our lives who need to hear the hope of the gospel. And God, give us a boldness to share it. Give us a heart for those people in our world who need you. And give us a willingness, Lord, to step out in faith and, and let them know about the, the great joy and life that we found in you. Lord, as we bring our offerings to you now this morning, would you bless these gifts that we're about to give? You've so richly blessed us, and now we just give these back to you as an act of worship, thanking you for your faithfulness to us. Would you use these gifts in a powerful way to touch many lives, not only here in our own church, in our own community, but all over the world where, where these funds will go to support your work. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask, Lord, too, that you would bless the message this morning that we're going to hear as we go to the book of Ephesians, as we look at the topic of marriage, Lord, uh, uh, an area in our lives that is often very difficult, uh, an area in our world that is currently just under assault, Lord. But God, you've given us words of guidance and hope to lead us in our marriages that lead to fullness in our marriages. Lord, just, I just pray that your spirit would open your word to us this morning and inspire us with a vision of what could be in our marriages. And Lord, just help me to communicate clearly. Give me clarity in my thought and open our hearts and minds, Lord, to hear from your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last year, last spring, right about this time, uh, we decided, you know what, Caleb's growing up. Our son, he's just turned eight at the time, and, and uh, you know, we got to kind of get his room updated. You know, he's becoming a big boy now, so it's time to kind of get rid of some of the, the little toddler and younger child stage things and get him a big boy room. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to get him a new bed, we're going to get him some new bookshelves, maybe a desk, you know. And uh, so my wife and I, we went out, we journeyed out one Saturday afternoon to a place where I have come to have a tremendous love-hate relationship with. It's a store known as Ikea, all right? 
And uh, I can tell by the laughter, you kind of already getting know what I'm getting at here, right? I mean, you go to Ikea. We love Ikea because Ikea, I mean, they have some really cool stuff. You know, I'm, we were really into like the, the cool designs they have, their furniture and things. Uh, they have decent prices on these things. But if you know anything about Ikea, it's all assemble yourself type stuff, right? So, uh, so we go to Ikea and, you know, the first thing about Ikea, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of fun walking around. The stuff's all cool. But you walk into that store and I tell you what, you can get lost in there for like weeks. I mean, it's like being lost on a desert island or something. You walk in and you're like roaming around this labyrinth. You know, you make one turn and you're back where you were 20 minutes ago. And it's like, what in the world? You know, how do I get, how do I get here, right? And uh, so it takes you forever just to get through the place because they trap you in there. And then, you know, as you're going through, you, uh, you're looking at this neat furniture. And we ended up finding a, a cool piece of furniture that we went to get for my son. Uh, it's called the Expedit Bookshelf here. And uh, this is currently in Caleb's room right now. Uh, it's, uh, we thought it was pretty cool. You know, it kind of has that Lego feel, and Caleb's really into Legos. And, and uh, it's basically a four-by-four four bookshelf. And uh, Caleb's got it in his room with all his toys and everything. And now... When I see this thing set up in the store on the showroom, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this is cool, right? We're going to put this in his room. I mean, how hard can that be to be to put together, you know? And so we're thinking, let's get this bookshelf for Caleb. So we go down to the warehouse section of IKEA. We load up these just incredibly monstrous boxes, right, full of the materials to go home and build this bookshelf. Well, we get home. And uh, I start going to work on this bookshelf. And some of you guys know I'm not the most savvy guy when it comes to construction and fixing things. And I should have done the smart thing like I normally do and call my buddy Mark Lemon to come over and help me. But I didn't. You know, my pride got the better of me. And uh, so I'm looking at the picture here on the guide, on the book, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, for Pete's sake, it's a square. How hard can it be, right? So I open up the boxes. I throw out all the parts on the floor. And I just jump in and go to work. I totally just completely ignore the instructions because, again, I mean, it's four sides. You know, how, how do you screw this up? So I start putting this thing together, and pretty soon, uh, you know, I get one wall up, I get the top up, you know, it's, it's coming together. I'm all proud of myself. Well, this project ended up extending over the course of about two days. I kid you not. All right. And uh, finally, I humbled myself and picked up the instruction book that I should have looked at to begin with. And I realized that I had stuff all out of the all pieces, all out of place, all over the place. I mean, this thing puts together like a jigsaw puzzle. I'm not even kidding you. I mean, you'd think it'd be easy, right? Four, you know, four shelves up and down. No, it's got these slots that assemble certain ways. And and uh, but again, it was this huge project. Friends, I'm not kidding you. I truly believe that God created Ikea just for my own personal sanctification. (laughs) All right? Because, man, God has used that store to help me in my patience, to help me grow in my, you know, my uh, peace and calmness, right? Uh, But here's the deal. A lot of people treat marriage the same way that I treated this bookshelf from Ikea. You know, a lot of people, they go through life and they look at this beautiful picture of what marriage is and what it could be, and they get this, you know, kind of this uh, fairy tale vision of marriage in their minds, and they think, you know, how hard could it be, right? I mean, look at this. This, is, this is, can't be that hard. You find, you know, guys, you know, you think, hey, you know, you find a girl, and, you know, hopefully you're somewhat attracted to her, you know, and you, and you think she's cute, and then you get to know her, and you find out you have some things in common, and you enjoy spending time with one another, and you're thinking, hey, this is great. This can't be that hard. And 
so you, you get engaged, you know, and then, and then uh, you're married, and, and on your marriage, you know, you're, you're, you're blue, she's pink, you go on your honeymoon, you make some purple, you know, and you're thinking, hey, this is all good, everything's working out, right, just like the picture, right? But then about a week into your marriage, you start realizing, wait a minute, this isn't really looking like the picture anymore. And you come to discover that marriage can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Marriage can sometimes take work. And, and, and our marriages don't come to us, you know, pre-assembled from heaven. They take work. They take some effort on our part. And the problem is a lot of people stray from the instructions that God's given us in regards to marriage. They stray from the instructions. They jump right to the finished product and they think, hey, this is just going to work out. It's going to be great. We're going to have a marriage made in heaven. But they fail to follow the steps that God has ordained in order for us to experience marriage the way he intended it to be. The good news for us today, though, is this. God has given us instructions for how we can experience fullness in our marriages. He's given us the instructions for how we can experience marriage the way he intended us to experience it. And we find those instructions in our passage in the book of Ephesians today. Today we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to come to this section, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We've been journeying through the book of Ephesians for the past couple months here. And today we're going to hit on this passage where Paul is going to specifically deal with marriage and the relationship between husbands and wives. Now here's the thing, friends, I totally understand this morning that there are people here who aren't currently married, all right? We got singles here, we got couples that are engaged, we have married couples, we have couples who have been divorced, we have widows and widowers, okay? I recognize that this passage today is not directed at every single person in this room. All right? Now, we're not trying to you know, single anybody out and disregard anybody here this morning, but the reality is, is when you're working your way through God's word, God saw fit to have certain sections of scriptures that were applicable to certain people, right? Sometimes he has a word for one group of people, and, and it doesn't necessarily apply to other group of people. Today, we're going to land on this passage dealing with marriage and married couples. And so again, I'm not trying to ignore anybody else here this morning who this passage might not relate to as specifically, but this is just where we are as our study through God's word unfolds. So we're going to deal with marriage and married couples this morning and look at God's plan, his guide, his blueprint for us to build a marriage made in heaven, the kind of marriage that he wants us to experience. Now here, on the flip side of that statement, I would be willing to bet, okay, singles here, engaged couples, divorced, uh, widows, widowers, God's word has something for you too, okay? So even though this is specifically about marriage and married couples, I guarantee you don't fall asleep on me here this morning because God's word has a word for you too. And you need to listen to that and hear it and, and see what God might have to say to you too, even if you might not be in this specific situation this morning. So let's take a look at this passage, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. We'll read it together and then I'll come back and make some comments about it. Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, friends, here in this passage, Paul gives us the picture of the marriages we're seeking to build. And Paul tells us here that marriage was created by God to be a living reflection of Christ's relationship to us, to the church. Okay? God said, hey, I want to show the world a living model, a living parable, a living example of my love and relationship to the church. So what am I going to do? I'm going to create marriage. I'm going to create marriage. You know, our culture today is, is uh, enthralled with people taking selfies, you know, on their smartphone, right? And, you know, you got celebrities and, you know, all, you know a lot of us take selfies. We put them on. God said, I want to show you what marriage is like. How am I going to do that? And God took a selfie, He took a selfie of his nature and his love and his commitment for us, the church, and he said, this is what marriage is. It's a reflection of my love for you and my commitment to you and what I've done for you through my saving grace. This is the big picture that Paul's talking about here. Marriage is a living parable of Christ's relationship to the church, the church's relationship to God. But here in this passage today, Paul also gives us instructions for how to build our marriages correctly. Paul gives us the steps that we can follow. And what we're going to find here, friends, is that the instructions that we're given here are actually pretty simple if we're willing to just simply follow them the way God has given them to us. Now, Here's the thing, though, that you need to be aware when it comes to God's instructions for marriage here in Ephesians. You know, a lot of people, they come to this passage, they come to Ephesians chapter 5, and the first thing they see is this word submit. And, you know, in our culture today, this word submit, unfortunately, has come to be viewed in a pretty negative light. You know, people come across this word and they end up just disregarding the entire passage because submit, submit, what's that all about? You know, and people in our world today, they think submit, they think submission, they think it's about, you know, being subservient to somebody, they think it's about being a doormat to somebody and letting them walk all over them. But friends, that's not what submission's about. That's not what God's talking about here. And sadly, too many people just disregard all of God's instructions for marriage because they get hung up on a false impression of what this word submit is all about. But here's the deal. When you're looking at God's instructions for building a solid marriage, okay, friends, if you start here with this word submit, it's like jumping ahead to the last page of the instruction manual. All right? It's like ignoring everything else that comes before it and going right to the last step and then thinking, hey, this is going to work out just great right? It's not going to come together for you that way. You got to follow the guidance. You got to follow the instructions. 
If we're gonna build our marriages to be positive reflections of Christ's relationship to the church, we need to start at the beginning. We need to start at the beginning of the instruction manual. And we need to remember, friends, that our passage today, it fits into the larger context of the book of Ephesians. And even more specifically, our passage today, it builds on the section of Ephesians that we just talked about last week. Okay? You cannot fully understand this, yet alone do this stuff, without understanding the flow of Paul's argument and how his call for husbands and wives to submit and love one another builds upon his teachings previously in the book of Ephesians. And so point number one today is actually a review of our message from last week. We're going to look today, how do we build a marriage made in heaven? Okay, well, number one, the first thing that we need to do is as individuals, okay, as individuals, we need to walk carefully. Now, don't get all upset and worried. I'm not going to go back and re-preach my whole sermon from last week, all right? As much as I'd be tempted to do that, I'm not going to do that to you. But if you don't understand what we talked about last week, you're never going to get this submission and love piece that we're going to talk about today. Because last week's stuff is foundational to this week's stuff. You following me here on this? Okay. So Paul, last week, if you remember, he says we need to walk carefully as we walk this journey of faith. Now, friends, this is about us as individuals. All right, what is marriage? Marriage is about two unique, different, fallen, screwed up, messy, sinful individuals coming together in a relationship of love and commitment for one another under God, right? It's it's about two people doing this together. But here's the thing, you're not gonna have anything positive to contribute to that coming together unless you yourself are first walking in spiritual health with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Okay, you need to be healthy spiritually. You need to have your right life right and in a right relationship with God for you to have anything positive to give to your spouse. And so this is why we gotta start, number one, with us as individuals, and Paul says you need to walk carefully, okay? Now, why did Paul warn us? Remember last week we talked about why did Paul warn us to walk carefully? Well, he says right here, he says, because the days are evil. We're living in evil times. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that's been spiritually darkened and hardened by the reality of sin, which infects and taints all of us. Okay? We live in this sinful existence. And so, friends, you shouldn't be surprised to see in a world like this that's been darkened by sin that marriage is under assault in our world today. I mean, marriage is under assault like never before in our culture today. And we shouldn't be surprised because we're living in evil days where people's minds have been blinded to the truth of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only is marriage under attack just because of the general sinful nature of our culture, or the fallenness of our culture, but last week we talked about we also have this enemy, Satan, who is actively seeking. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you need to know this, friends. There is an enemy today who would like nothing more than to destroy your relationship, and he is working overtime every single day to destroy your relationship in marriage. Why does he care so much? It's because marriage, like we said a few minutes ago, is a reflection of God's own nature and God's plan of salvation for the world. 
Christ submitted for the sake of the church. This church submits to the headship of Christ. When we see a marriage relationship, a husband and wife submitting and loving one another, right? We're seeing a reflection of God's own nature and his own plan of salvation. And what else would Satan like to see destroyed more than that? And so you need to know this morning that he is attacking your marriage today and if you don't build up fortification and barriers and walls to protect yourself, you're going to fall. You're going to fall to his, his attacks. And so this is why the stuff from last week is so foundational because this is where Paul tells us how we walk carefully in this life. It starts, Paul says, by walking in wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? Wisdom comes through the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we talked about last week. When you have a relationship with God, when you foster your relationship with God, God gives you that supernatural wisdom. And then Paul goes on, if you recall from last week, he says you walk in wisdom, and then number two, you walk in the word. You gotta build your life on the foundation of God's word because it's in God's word where we receive the truths that will support us and sustain us against the lies and the attacks of the enemy out in our world today, right? We looked at Jesus, Matthew chapter seven, the wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. And there are a lot of people today who are building their marriages not on the rock of God's word, but on the shifting sands of what our culture says will lead to happiness and what will lead to your own self-fulfillment. And that stuff is just lies, friends. The truth for how to build your marriage on a solid foundation, you're only going to find that on God, in God's word. And so Paul says you need to walk in wisdom, you need to walk in the foundation of God's word, and then Paul says you need to walk in the spirit, if you remember from last week. You need to walk in the spirit. And what that means, friends, is that just daily we submit our lives to the will of the Holy Spirit and we ask him to continually fill us. When Paul says be filled with the Spirit here, we talked about that last week. The actual Greek term, the verb there is be continually filled. It's an ongoing process, the daily process where we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you strengthen me so that I can walk this journey of faith faithfully in honoring you? And Paul says when we do that, when we submit our lives to the Holy Spirit, you know, it's like a sailboat, the sail, we lift the sail, we invite the Holy Spirit's power to fill us, and the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us and he empowers us and he leads us and pushes us and guides us through life and gives us what we need. And Paul says that that Holy Spirit inspiration, when we yield our lives to him, it results in this. Paul says it results in a life of worship, it results in a life of thanksgiving, and it results in a life of mutually uplifting lifting relationships but that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit right so here's the deal friends right Paul says you need to be filled by the Spirit and then he goes on in the next breath to start talking about what this looks like in our marriages this is why I'm telling you it begins with you individually walking carefully in wisdom rooted in the word of God being filled with the spirit because if you're not doing those things you're not going to be able to do the stuff we're going to talk about in a minute. But notice what Paul says here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again there the actual Greek reads more like submitting to one another. So in other words as we are being continually filled by the Spirit one of the evidences of that filling of the Spirit is that we are going to be continually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
all right? Submission to one another is a mark of a Holy Spirit-filled person. Humility and submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you don't have your life characterized by humility and submission, you're not walking in the Spirit. And if you're not, you need to repent of that, friends, and you need to open your sails again, and you need to ask God to continue to fill you so that you can do what he calls us to do, walking in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submit here in verse 21, it literally means to yield one's own rights for the sake of others. To yield your rights for the sake of others. That's what Paul's calling us to. Friends, why is this such a scandalous concept? You know, I mean, our world, we come to this passage in Ephesians and we read, submit to one another, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, no way, uh-uh. He can't really be meaning that, right? And, and our world, our culture is just scandalized. Even many in the church today completely disregard this teaching because, oh, you know, submit, wow. The scandal that God would call me to submit to anybody, right? Friends, you need to understand, I've just never understood why this is such a tough concept because the entire Christian faith is rooted in submission. I mean, the entire Christian faith, submission and humility is the DNA of Christianity. In the very nature of who God is, we see submission and humility. The son submits to the will of the father and humbles himself to fulfill the father's will. The spirit submits to the son by pointing people not to himself, but pointing them back to the son. We see submission and humility in the very nature of our God. And yet we're scandalized when God would ask us in turn to submit to one another. And not only that, but I mean, Paul, throughout the letter we've been reading the last couple months, the book of Ephesians, I mean, submission and humility is all over this letter. The spirit-filled life is characterized by submission and humility. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. Be completely humble and gentle with one another. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What's he talking about there? He's talking about submission. He's already covered this territory, and yet we get to it here in chapter five. Oh, there's submission, we're not gonna do. Friends, he's already been laying the foundation if you understand anything about Christianity, it's a life of humility and submission. Chapter five, verses one and two, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We submit because our Lord and Savior submitted. Paul tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit, friends, because it's evidence of a life that seeks to honor God. Do you fear the Lord today? Do you desire to live in a right relationship with him? If you do, your life should be marked by humility and submission. And if it's not, you're not honoring God. There are a lot of people in the church today who claim they're walking faithfully with the Lord, but when you look at their life, there's nothing in their life that reflects humility and submission. There's arrogance, there's selfishness, pursuit of their own interests over others. That is antithetical to the life of the Christian friends. A spirit-filled life is a life walking 
in humble submission out of reverence for God. So number one, if we're going to build healthy, God-honoring marriages, marriages made in heaven reflecting God's plan, his plan of salvation to the world, number one, we need as individuals to walk carefully and follow the guidance that we talked about this past week, walking in wisdom, walking in the word, walking in the fullness of the spirit. Number two this morning, if we're going to build a marriage made in heaven, number two as wives, we must submit to our husbands. Wives, this is for you this morning. We must submit to our husbands. Ephesians 5, through 24, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now for you wives here today, you need to keep a few things in mind here when we look at this passage. Number one, Paul is not singling you out in the marriage relationship, okay? He's not saying to you wives, submit to your husbands and your husband is off the hook, okay? That's not what he's saying here. We're gonna talk more about your husband's responsibility in a minute, but remember, Paul has already admonished all of us as believers to engage in spirit-driven submission to one another. If you're a Christian, friends, putting the interests of others ahead of your own, yielding your rights and your interests for the sake of others, this is your duty, period, whether you're married or not. Okay, so Paul's not just singling out wives here. Number two, wives, understand this. Submission doesn't mean inferiority or subservience or silence. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is simply reminding us here of God's creation mandate for marriage that goes back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3. It's what Pastor Kent Hughes in his commentary on Ephesians calls an ordered equality. An ordered equality. God created Adam first, and he gave Adam authority over Eve, even though, friends, both The husband and the wife are created equal, being made in the image of God. You're created equal as husband and wife, made in the image of God. By your very nature, you are equal in the eyes of God. But God, in this equality, has given us an order. Ordered equality. The husband is the head, the authority over the wife. This was God's plan for marriage. Now, you need to understand, the point here is simple and clear. God has defined roles for husbands and wives in marriage. And as Paul reminds us here, God has also given us a model for the marriage relationship. And the model Paul's given us is the relationship between Christ and the church. In that relationship, the authority or headship of Jesus Christ is unquestioned, right? I mean, none of us as Christians questions who's in charge here, right? Jesus is Lord. He's the head. We don't question that. And in the same way, God has defined and ordained in his created order that the husband is the head of the team that is marriage. Now, point number three, ladies, for you wives this morning, and I think you're going to find this helpful. I read another pastor this week who defines submission like this, and I I think this is just brilliant. 
He says submission is submission. Submission means submission. And this is really a great point here, wise. There is a mission for the Christian marriage. And that mission is about obeying and glorifying God. And what Paul is teaching us here is that the God-honoring wife, she says, I'm going to put myself under that mission. I'm going to put myself under God's mission. And that mission, God's mission, is more important than my own individual desires. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission that God has for our marriage and for my life. That's what submission is. You see, wives, biblical submission is simply about honoring God by obeying his plan for marriage. Submission isn't weakness. It's not subservience. It's a beautiful God-honoring act of grace and strength and love whereby the world sees in your life a living parable of the church's submission to Jesus Christ. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Now, husbands, as I said a minute ago, God doesn't let us off the hook in this deal either, all right? We, too, have a God-ordained responsibility to our wives. And if we're going to build a marriage made in heaven, we, too, have to follow God's guidance for us consistently and faithfully. And this leads me to point number three this morning. How do we build a marriage made in heaven? Number three, as husbands, we must love our wives. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now the word here that Paul uses for love, it's a powerful word. It's a form of the word agape. How many of you ever heard that term before, agape love? Agape love, this is the kind of love that Paul calls husbands to here. It's not a familial love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not an erotic love. What Paul is calling us to as husbands here is agape love. And agape love, man, you need to understand this, agape love is a selfless, self-sacrificing love that is characterized by the willing forfeiture of your rights or privileges on another's behalf. And in this case, your wife. Agape love is the willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another's behalf. Now that sounds a little bit like submission, doesn't it? You see how this goes together here, friends? Of course, the model for this is Jesus himself. What Paul highlights here in Ephesians 5, 25 through 31 is Christ's incomparable love for the church. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And of course, Jesus showed the greatest love to the church by the sacrifice of his own life. He shed his precious blood to demonstrate how deep and abiding his love is and to leave us the greatest example of love this world has ever known. And men, this is the way we are called to love our wives. There's no higher calling than this, guys. 
When I was a senior higher, growing up in youth group, I heard a definition of agape love from my youth pastor that I've never forgotten. And it really gets to the heart of what Paul's calling us to as husbands. My youth pastor defined agape love like this. He said, love is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. Love is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. That's it, man. That's what God calls us to as husbands. Are you? Are you totally committed to the betterment of your wife today? When the world looks at your relationship with your wife, do they see a guy who is totally committed to the betterment of her? If they don't, you need to check yourself. And you need to repent, because guys, I'm just gonna tell you flat out, it's a sin. If you are not loving your wife in agape love, totally committed to her betterment, This is what God calls us to, and anything less than that is outside of God's will, and you need to repent to the Lord first and foremost, and you need to go to your wife, and you need to repent to her. I failed you, and I failed to honor God, and will you forgive me and give me another chance to love you the way Christ loved the church? And I'm going to pledge to keep striving, to commit to you and sacrifice for you everything I can every day because of my love for you. And man, I'll tell you something. When the world sees you love your wife in this way, they're seeing once again a living parable of Christ's love for the church. Your love matters. Your faithfulness matters. It matters to your wife and it matters to the watching world. It's a testament of Christ's love for us, the church. You know, when you look at God's design for marriage, I mean, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here this morning, friends, but when you understand God's plan for marriage, these basic steps he's given us, submitting, loving, you know, I mean, God's plan is truly awesome. And even the unbelieving world sees this when we're living this out consistently. When we trust in God's plan, when we walk faithfully in his design for marriage, it literally has the potential to transform everything. I mean, just just think about this. If we were to faithfully follow God's instructions for marriage, if we were to follow his instruction manual for marriage, just think how this would literally transform everything about our marriages. I mean, just just think of some of the common stressors in marriage today, right? You know, when we counsel people in their marriages here as pastors, you know, the top three The top three stressors in marriage today, it's money, it's sex, and it's family time obligations. And just think, if we were to put God's instruction manual into practice in our marriage relationships, how that would literally transform everything. You know, just think about the area of money, for example. You know, maybe your wife, she's a spender, a shopper, you're a saver, right? And your wife, you know, she comes to you and she says, you know, hey, honey, we, we really need a new refrigerator and, and a new freezer. And, and our, you know, our, our fridge and freezer, it's on the, it's on the uh, fritz, you know, it's about to lose, it's on its last legs. And, and your husband's like, well, what's the problem? And look at the popsicles, they're not even holding together anymore. And your husband, he's like, well, great, we got fruit punch, right? You know, and, and uh, he's thinking, you know, we don't need to spend any more money. And, but, but she's like, no, we need to go. We 
need a new refrigerator. So you get in the car and you're on your way out the driveway, but here's the deal, you know? Your husband, he wants to take you shopping for the new refrigerator, even though he might not think it's necessary, but he's gonna do that because he's totally committed to your betterment and he loves you and so he's willing to yield his own desires for your sake and your desires out of his love for you. But look at wives, you know that your husband is not ready to spend that money right now and you know that he preferences saving and so you're thinking you know what I'm going to yield my own interests for the sake of my husband because I love him and what's going to happen is you're going to get stuck in your driveway for like an hour arguing about do we go shopping do we don't go shopping because you're both mutually yielding and submitting to one another out of love because of your total commitment to the other's betterment and you might sit there and argue about it for an hour but you're going to know that you love each other and your love's gonna grow. I mean, think about the area of intimacy in marriage. Man, this is probably the second leading cause of conflict in marriages today, right? Right, Ladies, you're sitting on the couch tonight, you're reading a book, all of a sudden your husband comes, he slides up next to you, you know, and he's got that look in his eye, and right away you know what he's thinking, right? You're th- he's, thinking, he's thinking, you're pink, I'm blue, let's go make some purple, right? And, um, and you're thinking, but I'm not into making purple right now, I just don't really feel like it. But here's the deal. I'm going to yield my own desires for the sake of my husband because I love him. That's submission. But see, your husband, he loves you, and he's totally committed to your betterment, so he can tell that you're really not into it right now. And so because he loves you, he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to yield and submit my desires for your sake. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up standing at the edge of your bed all night arguing over, you know, are we going to yield or submit or make purple or what? But the thing is, is you might stand there at the edge of your bed all night, but you're going to know that you love each other and your love is gonna grow. Same thing in family time and time obligations, right? Major stressor in marriage. You come home tomorrow night, guys, from work, it's been a long day, you're all excited because a bunch of guys from your ABF are gonna get together and watch March Madness, but your wife says, honey, you know, Johnny's got this science project for school, it's due tomorrow, we really need your help, I've got a Bible study with my, with my girlfriends tonight, can you help Johnny? And you're like, oh man, I've been planning this March Madness thing but you know what, I'm totally committed to my wife's betterment and I love her and so you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yield my desires for her sake so she can go to her Bible study. But your wife, she knows that that March Madness time with your buddies is important to you and so she says, you know what, well I'm gonna yield my interests and desires for your sake and I'll stay home and help Johnny with, the bio, with his science project so that you can go and have that time with your buddies. And you're going to stand there arguing in front of Johnny for like an hour about who's going to go and do what. But you know what? Johnny is going to know that his mom and dad love each other and that they love him and your love is going to grow. Do you see how this literally could transform everything in your marriage? When wives are submitting out of love, when husbands are loving their wives, I mean, it transforms everything. But here's the deal. I know today I know today there are people here who are saying, Jason, that all sounds well and good, but Jason, we are way beyond that. I mean, like that instruction manual, that thing got thrown away a long time ago. This, this submission stuff, this love stuff, we're in big trouble, Jason. What do we do? Our worship team has a song for you this morning that's gonna be a great encouragement to you today. As they come up and prepare to play this, I just want to say a few things about this for you. You know, when we come into our marriage relationships, we have this picture of what the marriage made in heaven looks like. And, and again, a lot of times we skip all the steps that God tells us will lead to building that marriage made in heaven, right? But the fundamental issue here that you need to understand, we are all just broken, fallen, sinful people, right? 
And when we come into our marriages and we try to get something from one another to fill that brokenness, that sinfulness, we're not going to do it in receiving from another broken, sinful people. It's like two leeches sucking off of each other, right? They're just, it's just going to soak up and dry up and die because we have nothing to give. And the only way we can make our marriages work, friends, is if we are being empowered and filled by something greater than just ourselves. When we acknowledge our brokenness, when we acknowledge our fallenness and we yield our lives to the Lord and say, Jesus, would you help us? Would you fill us? Every single day we wake up, Jesus, would you give me the power to love my wife the way that she deserves to be loved? God will fill your sails and he can transform you and I want you to listen to this song because it's all about that. You know, friends, I'll tell you something. God is still in the business today of doing miracles. And if you find yourself in a place where you're struggling in your marriage today, you recognize, man, I, we just, we're just broken. We're fallen. I haven't loved my wife the way I should. I haven't honored my husband the way I should. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And you know, in Ephesians earlier, in Ephesians we saw Paul pray now to him who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To him be the glory. And friends, that's the God we serve. That's the God who cares about you and who is for you and who loves your marriage and wants to see it grow and thrive and give you the fullness that he intends for, for it to give you. And you're not going to have that unless you turn to him and you yield your lives to him, and you put into practice those steps that we talked about, walking in wisdom, walking in a foundation in his word, yielding daily to the filling of his spirit. And you need to just pray this morning and pray every day. You just need to pray together, and you need to say, would you just fill us, Lord, and give us the grace that we need once again today for me to love my husband, for me to submit to him, and for husbands to say, Lord, would you just fill me and let me love my wife with that sacrificial love that Christ loved the church with? And God, empower us to do that because we just can't do it on our own. And God can do miracles. But every single day, it's a choice. It's a choice to stay faithful, to press on, to run the race, and to yield your life to the God who will empower you to make that happen. I want to pray for you this morning as we dismiss and ask God to bless you, and I'm going to pray specifically for you husbands and wives today. Heavenly Father, your word is so full of just rich wisdom regarding marriage. We've seen just a small piece of that today. And Jesus, I, I just know that the picture of marriage you have for us is so good. But yet, it takes work and it takes commitment. And, 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 and sometimes that's hard, and it's especially hard for us who are nothing more than just fallen sinful people. And, and so, Jesus, would you just empower us today with your Holy Spirit? I pray for the husbands here. I pray for the wives here. God, would you just empower them today with your Spirit to do what they can't do by themselves? 
for that wife here, Lord, who needs to seek repentance for her lack of submission to her, her husband, who she hasn't been yielding her rights or interests to him, Lord, would you forgive her this morning and then empower her, Lord, to pursue faithfulness in that with her husband through your spirit. And Lord, for that husband who's here today and he hasn't been loving his wife as a self-sacrificial servant, he hasn't been yielding his desires for the sake of her interest, would you forgive him this morning, Jesus? And would you empower him in a new way with your spirit to do what he can't do on his own, to love his wife with a Christ-like committed love? We need you, Jesus. We need your help. God, would you protect our marriages? Would you help us walk faithfully, consistently with your guidance for our marriages? And Jesus, when we fail in that, would you pick us up once again and renew us and fill us once more with your spirit and give us everything we need every day to continue to live and reflect the great love you have for your church in our marriage relationships. I pray this blessing on my friends this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends.